Aquarius Productions specializes in photography, videography, sound, and entertainment. Comedy reels, headshots, music videos, hell, Patty will even write you a dope-ass ad read if that's what you need. They know what it's like to have a vision. Aquarius is here to help you realize it. And if you aren't an entertainer and you just want a special occasion immortalized on film, they got you. Or if you are a venue owner looking to entertain your guests, they are here to produce comedy and music events for you. Contact their Facebook or Instagram page for details. Aquarius, content created by artists for artists. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporter, Mr. Rick Kinnamer, and let's start the show. Here's our phantom music. You know what that music means? It means that it's Thursday night and it is time for the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm the Pillsbury Doughboy Podcast, Jacob Gregg. <laughs> oh boy, my am God. I excited for our guest tonight. Do you want to introduce him, Jason? Yes, you I do. A, you now, don't get to do a lot of introductions. In the seven years of doing podcast, well, actually longer, probably like eight or nine years of doing a podcast, I've talked to some cool people. I've talked to uh, comic book artists. I've talked to actors, musicians. You know, we talked to one of my heroes, Leland Scalar, a few few weeks ago. Mm. Nothing like tonight, dude. Tonight is this guy here is one of my favorite drummers of all time, and and I can I, I can put on one hand my favorite drummers. You've got the guy, of course. You got Alex Van Halen. You you yeah. got <laughs> you got Alex Van Halen. You got Neil Peart. You got uh, let's see who else is up there. Um, John Bottom, bro. John Bottom's up there. Uh, who else? Well, this guy is in the top five. This guy right here, because when I started playing drums in 1991, there was a little album out called Ritual De Lo Habitual that I listened to pretty much on repeat since then for the last 30 years. And this guy <laughs> is the drummer for Jane's Addiction, Porno for Pyros, Hell Ride. Mr. Oh, here he comes, Mr. Stephen Perkins, everybody. Yeah. Hey, well, thank you for that introduction. First of all, uh, drummers, to me, the ones you mentioned and my favorites, all have a personality behind the drum kit. Mm. And you can hear who and what they're like by their playing. And it's not about technique, even though they all have it. And it's not always about speed or showing off which they all did. It's really about putting this personality into the music. And I always think about the police. I mean, Sting wrote great songs, but without yeah. Stuart Cole, there's no urgency. There's no emergency. There's no reason. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and it's just, it's just lyrics and, and, you know, chord changes, but you put Stu in there and you've got some kind of hurricane and that's because of the drummer. And a lot of great drummers I never got to meet because they passed on, but I get to know them through their drumming. And that's really a, a great honor to be on your list. And, you know, uh, God bless Alex Van Halen, because growing up with one of the greatest guitar players of all time, his, his younger brother, it must have been tough to, like, do what I was saying, put your personality in the music. Mm -hmm. But they were some of my favorite bands have brothers. We're talking about Pantera, mm -hmm. The King, Oasis, Van Halen. And, you know, there's there's brotherly love and, and, mm -hmm. and a hate love hate thing. <laughs> But there's there's something great about that drummer guitar player brother, and that's what Pantera had. And I was a huge Dimebag, and of course, you know, when Dimebag was taken from us, I just can't imagine how his other half, Vinny, went on. And now Vinny's passed on too. But um, 
I can't even it imagine is. what that must have been like to be to watch your brother die on stage. I mean, that's just that never happens. That's like a once in a, a million years thing, and and it should never happen again. I, you know, but I I was deep into heavy metal. I'm 53. And when you were talking 91, when James was, you know, uh, doing ritual, et cetera, um, I, right after that, I joined Infectious Grooves. Mm. And that brought me back into metal. And we started touring with Ozzy and Pantera. And we did shows with Soulfly. And we really were surrounded by metal. And I really loved the metal drummer. And, you know, the... The, the sensibilities they have, the technique, if you're talking about Iron Maiden and Slayer and, and you know, if, if you want to put like Judas Priest and some of the earlier metal bands, Saxon, the drummer always had some real muscle and mm-hmm. punch. And I, you know, I love that. I love swinging drummers because Black Sabbath with Bill Ward, he was a swinging drummer. Yeah. But music, the music was the beginning of metal with, with Sabbath, but the drums and almost Almost like what uh, Mitch Mitchell did with Jim, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix. There was this swing into it, mm-hmm. and it was it was aggressive and it was it was punchy, but it was always danceable in a way. Yeah, that was but, one thing that caught me when I first, you know, I grew up with a dad who who was a musician and was really into like sixties, you know, music like the the Beatles, Rolling Stones, of course, Jimi Hendrix, and the the one drummer that really caught my attention was of course Mitch Mitchell because. <laughs> nobody else played like that guy nobody sounded like him and it was just like you said there was a swing there was like a swagger to it and absolutely when you hear the it great, yeah the, the, the conversation that mitch had with jimmy to me could be compared to elvin jones and john coltrane it was it was these two guys talking arguing listening screaming at each other and it was all put on the tape that we could listen to yeah. it over and over and uh you know and the drums are such a unique instrument because every other instrument can kind of paint a stroke of music a drummer has to pierce the silence it's like hitting a nail in a wall and you know when you do it right and it goes in with your first strike it feels good yeah. and if you have to pull it back out and put the hole somewhere else because you were too high too low you know it's it's depressing but you know it's doing it right the first time and the drummer can go into a room that's silent and he has to be so uh, in a sense sure of himself mm-hmm. to pierce the silence with these punches of kick snare and hat and tom fills and yeah we can use brushes and mallets but most of rock and roll was about punching the space and <laughs> and leaving the mark you know and and i you know jazz music also was this great conversation and then motown the drummer was more of a clock he didn't converse much with the Mm -hmm. other member and then you had rock and roll and that did it both there was conversation and of course the the pocket and the clock and if you think about the stones and the beatles and and the animals and some of the earlier bands they did motown songs in their set Mm -hmm. but they grew from there and they took the blues and they took little richard and, and you know jerry lee lewis and and of course, the great Chuck Berry that started it. And and they really had this. It was fun. Well, that but was, it was, also, that, was that was uh, you know, that was how Van Halen got their sound, too, because, you know, they when they were just, you know, a, a party rock band in yeah. Southern California before they were signed, they were doing like Ohio players and like old Motown <laughs> songs. And that's kind of how they got their That kind of it's it's 
rock, but it's danceable at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you think about, you know, uh, the the very the first two records, especially, you can really swing dance to mm-hmm. those songs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you almost couples dance to like oh, yeah. that hand. And, you know, I, I always thought a great band uh, was awesome with headphones. But then when you go see them, what happens? And and that that takes you to the next level. Oh, yeah. And Van, Van Halen went in The Who and Zeppelin and, you know, some of the great live bands. Of course, when you talk about Rush, the precision, yeah. uh, you talk about Emerson, Lake and Palmer or Genesis, there was precision. But there was these great light shows and lasers. But then, you know, then other bands didn't need that or, or use it. They had their, their frenetic energy like the who. Yeah. And, you know, and later on, I, I, you know, I love Kiss because of Donnelly, the show they put on in the theater, because they were not incredible musicians, but they did incredible songs. And they, they were a unit. They, were, they sounded like a unit. And it's just cool to listen to rock and roll and jazz. And where music's going today, where people spend time alone on a laptop and produce a whole record without a band there, for, you know, better for worse, it, it happens. And there's something to learn from that, you know? And I always like to put on records as a kid and play to them records I love. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, I started buying records I didn't love and try to play to those and see what happened to my playing. <laughs> you know, maybe it'd take me somewhere that I wasn't really sure I wanted to go, but it was... It was good for me, you know. It was no, good for my same, I did the same thing, you know. I first got my drum. That's how I learned how to play drums. Was um, it, this was back in the days when we still had the big, you know, the big family, uh, you know, stereo in the living yeah. room. Yeah, so I it was, was a, just. It was a TV, a record yeah. player, everything. <laughs> so I would just put the drums right next to the stereo and just crank it and play along with it. And of course, Van Halen was like, you know, the the all those records like just putting them one one after another and just trying to learn how to play and play in time and you know do all that kind of stuff now and another thing i wanted to ask you about that you kind of touched on a little bit that drums are are an instrument that are it's very hard to kind of have uh your own sound like for somebody Mm -hmm. to be able like you can listen to you know, Alex Van Halen, and you hear that snare and you know it's him. You listen yeah. to Neil Peart and you hear him, even though he's had different sets and tunings over the years, you still know it's him. You're one of those drummers too that, you know, especially like when, you know, Nothing Shocking came out and then, you know, Ritual came out. At that time, you guys came out at a time where, you know, the big metal bands and stuff and the rock bands, like the drummers were you know, the big, you know, cannon drums at the time. And then here yeah. you came along yeah. with like, you know, the little almost like a jazz setup with the real tight sounding drums and the tight sounding snare and all the Latin percussion. And when I heard that, it was just like, you can do that. Like it was <laughs> so different. And well, even, there to, was, there even was, to this uh, day, like you sound like you, like you hear oh, you play yeah. and you know, it's you. Well, there was something great when, that happened in the 80s, but Tommy Lee was the peak of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, but, you know, and it was meat and potatoes. And I was young enough to go see Motley night after night at the Whiskey, at the Roxy, at the Troubadour, a place called Perkins Palace, actually, down in Pasadena. And I, I used to just watch Tommy and also the great late Frankie Benelli 
And these guys were the meat and potatoes. And a lot of drummers had to follow that and they became a replica. But um, Jane's Addiction came out in 86. And our scene wasn't the Sunset Strip. It was late night after hours, downtown LA. Mm -hmm. And we were surrounded by Fishbone and the Chili Peppers and Minutemen and X. But also the cats from Motley and Rat and, and Faster Pussycat, LA Guns, they needed somewhere to go after hours, after the strip ended. Uh -huh. They were there as well. So there was this great melting pot of, of musicians. And me and Navarro were only 17. Most of the cats I just mentioned were already early 20s. So me and Dave were still wanted to have big fireworks and events in our plane. And we brought that kind of stimuli to the scene. And if you listen to the very first Jane's Addiction music with Idiot's Rule, Pigs and Zen, had a dad mm -hmm. there was this funkified that was influenced by the chilies and fishbone and the minuteman and fire hose and but then we started to grow into three days and then she did and ted just admitted we started to gather up our own darker sound but there was something very funky about the scene and i was in marching band and that had uh, many different drummers like five different bass drummers ten snare guys and people on little tritoms and, and, and quintoms and so I had all these percussive influences and I did love gathering, you know, in, in a sense, L.A. is right next to Mexico. So you had this incredible Latin sound always happening around you. And I loved reggae and, and you know, ska music, you know, like the specials and the police and other bands. And I would let that kind of come into my sound and present that to Jane's Addiction. And then I found a guy named Babatundi Alatunji. <laughs> and he was an African drummer. And basically, he would surround himself with like 10 other guys on hand drums. And I always thought, cool, I love Phil Rudd from ACDC. But what happens if Baba Tunji was in ACDC? And I also thought that about Fela Kuti. He would bring these African pop rhythm beats. And of course, Sly Stone and the meters and I let that all come into my playing and I never ignored it and I brought it to the table. And if you listen to ritual, you got no one's leaving, mm -hmm. uh, ain't no right, uh, obvious. And these are very, in a sense, if you put them on a djembe, they're African rhythms played on a drum set yeah. surrounded by rock and roll elements. And uh, I was fortunate because I had band members that were just as courageous as I was. Let's change things. And if, if Summertime Rolls could be right next to Mountain Song and Jane Says could be next to Pigs and Zen, you know, each song had its own planet, its own galaxy, its mm -hmm. own universe. We never try to repeat ourselves and get like a formula. We just wanted to make each song. And Perry wrote these poems. He didn't write lyrics. He didn't say the verse goes three times, the chorus goes twice, then we do a bridge. He's like, here's a couple words about a girl. The next few lines are about the fight. And the, mm -hmm. the final, you know, verse is about us breaking up. Let's write a song about this poem. And then it, it, we That's had to the think, too. Poem. You yeah. go back and listen to those, the, those albums and those songs, and they're, they're, the structure of those songs, like you said, there's not really like a verse, chorus, verse, uh, you know, bridge back to, to yeah. a verse. It, it's, I never really noticed that till now. It's like it's more just yeah. like poem songs. and that's They are. If you think about Stop, it's three verses a guitar solo, and then the vocal acapella, and then we're done. We never hit a chorus. Yeah. You know, here we go, <laughs> and, and it's just, it was a poem about the, the environment and the world 
actually beating itself up, everybody hurting the world, hurting the goal, hurting the earth. And his lyrics are so relevant today. You know, No One's Leaving is about racism. Stop is about, you know, waking up and, and taking care of the, of the environment. And they were, they were, they weren't hidden, but they were poems. You had to read them, you know, yeah. to understand what you're saying. And I think uh, the, the brilliance about Jane's went right into porno. And when we did porno, me and Perry decided we're not going to find another Navarro. Let's not try to. Mm-hmm. Let's find a guitar player that likes to write songs on acoustic guitar. And we started writing songs around a campfire with bongos, acoustic guitar, and smoke a little, drink a little, loosen mm-hmm. up, take that into the studio. And that's why those songs, to me, are so, uh, in a sense, island ready. They're ready to surf oh, yeah. to, you know? <laughs> and the bass player, Martijn, he was from Amsterdam, born in Holland. So I couldn't reference Electric Funeral by Black Sabbath, or I couldn't reference mm-hmm. Wrathchild by Iron Maiden. He would scratch his head. I don't know what you're talking about, Perkins. <laughs> and so yeah, the rhythm section, he grew up with different type of music. He didn't have FM radio. He didn't oh, have yeah. what I grew up with. So that made a brand new fresh rhythm section. Very interesting bass lines. Oh, yeah. He uh, Latin. And so I me want to ask you about that, uh, especially the beat for Pets. Oh, great. Yeah. What? Why were you? What made you just say, <laughs> okay, I'm just going to. I'm just gonna ride the timbali throughout the whole song. Like, great, great I would have never thought about that in a million years. And I, I, well, I'll this, let Jacob this, jump this, in here too, because I'm dominating the conversation. I'm sorry, well, Jacob. Okay. I'm not gonna take it away from you, brother. <laughs> okay, well, let me tell you how that came about. We were feeding my pet snake. His name was Bobo, and me and Perry were sitting there, and I popped a little tiny mouse in there, and it was awful. And I, you know, I can't do that anymore. But at the time. <laughs> I was into it. Uh-huh. And Perry looked at me and he goes, when the aliens come, not if, but when, we'll make we'll make great pets. We'll be like your snake. We'll be like your snake waiting to be fed if they drop a little something into our cage. And we're thank you, sir. We'll give you some more food in three days. Uh-huh. So I thought, I'm gonna write a drum beat that sounded like a clock ticking. And the clock is basically inspired by the poem about when the aliens come. And I wanted to be that clock, tick tock, tick tock. So I looked at my drum beat, my drum set, and I, I got a 10 inch timbali, uh, a 12 inch snare, and a 20 inch kick. And these were definitely different sounds for a rock and roll drum set. And I tried to become this clock and not ever vary from it. And no drum fills, just be this pulse. And it didn't have anything to do with the bass line or the guitar riff. It was all based upon the poem. Mm. And that's how the drum beat was planted in my head and by that time i was good about thinking forward about the mix what's it going to sound like when we mix where's the bongo or the timbali going to fit in the mix bottom left where's the hi-hat going to go top right i never thought that way as a kid but as a, as a young adult i started thinking about placing drums and sounds and thinking about the final product and it was really this picture we were painting and uh I'm very proud of that beat because a lot of that record is quite, um, in a sense, busy with the drum patterns. And mm-hmm. that one is really simple. But it was born and spawned of this lyric of, of aliens coming in and making us pets. And I, you know, I miss Bobo the snake. Hopefully he's still around. But um, <laughs> I, I, after Bobo was eating mice, he had to go to tiny rabbits. And I'm like, okay, I got to give the, I got to give the snake away. I cannot do this. This is not. Yeah. I'm not guy but you know 
But like, you know, I love porno for pyros and, and I love that album when it dropped in. And like, it was just that, that one song, you know, it was so different and yeah. just listening to this day, I still listen to that song. And every time I hear it, I'm like, what was he thinking when he did that? And <laughs> finally, I get to ask you the question yeah. that you were thinking when you wrote yeah. that. It's awesome. My day is made. And it's cool to have a lyricist in a band that's got content and relevant words and I always heard Ringo say, you play for the song and you have to read the lyrics to understand what the song's about. And as a kid, I was like, What's he, what, what is he talking about? You play for the song and you read the lyrics to write a drum beat. But it all started to kind of get into my, my I guess, my writing pattern. And I wanted to know what the bass line was, what the guitar riff was. Yes, what's the lyrics? And also the phrasing of the words, the way he pronounces the syllables and where he pushes and pulls kind of like John Densmore with the doors always kind of listening to Morrison and and kind of making it part of the drum part to fit these unusual Morrison poems mm -hmm. uh, that's a really a wonderful you know collaboration of musicians when you get the right guys and everyone's listening to each other nowadays it's not bad or good but a lot of people will have me do sessions even before I hear the song and they just like, can you give me a beat at, you know, 120 beats per minute. And for the second verse, can you make a variation of the first verse? And then for the bridge, can you go tribal? And I, I'd like to try everything, even if I don't have lyrics, but then when you hear the song and you go, Oh, I didn't know he was singing about that. I would have changed my drum beat yeah. <laughs> if I knew what the damn song was about, you know, yeah. not that it would have been better or worse, but it would have been different. Yeah, you want to jump in here, Jacob? I've been hogging the conversation. Yeah, Jake, <laughs> that's all right. I want to hear. What I know you got. you've been you've been drumming longer than I've been alive, so I'm not both, gonna. You know, both of us have. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you know, so, Jake, how old are you? I'm 21. I just turned 21. Oh, that's brilliant. Now, my my son's 11, and uh, I like to talk to him about how he sees the world. Of course, the last 12 months, everyone has got a new perspective, but how he sees the future and how he sees and hears music and, and the quality of art and, and novels and film and books. And I think uh, it's important as a musician to hang out with every age. Now, right. as an athlete, when you're 53, that's my age, some athletes have to hang up their cleats and their bats and their mitts because they can't do it physically. Mm -hmm. But a musician can go until the day he pops. And you know, I think you just get better at drums, of course, are athletic. You have to have stamina and endurance. And I take that serious. I, I, I like to feed my body quality food and water and, and, and vitamins and supplements. So when I get on the drum kit, I can achieve what my brain wants me to do. But as a 21 year old, you don't have to face those physical issues yet. You just, you just be and are uh, a young growing, you know, soul as a 53 year old. I look back at my days in the 20s and, and my God, you know, I celebrated my 21st birthday on a Jane's Addiction stage. And wow. uh, I, thought, I thought I knew everything, you know, right. <laughs> but I didn't know shit. Well, Jacob but, thinks uh, he knows everything, too. So. Yeah, I also think I know everything. <laughs> yeah. I spent my 21st birthday getting drunk on this show like three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it the best thing I could have done. But so, I do have a question. Yeah, um, what do you got? If I'm not mistaken, which I often am, if if history serves me correctly, uh, you're in the band Hellride, which is actually a Stooges cover band. Correct. So, 
So I was wondering where your love of Iggy Pop came from. Well, you know, Iggy started as a drummer. And that always turned me on to know that. Uh, the story of Iggy and his band and MC5 and the power of Detroit was always fascinating to me because you leave your blood and your guts and your sweat on the stage or they dismiss you. And that's what goes down in Detroit. You know, it's a working man city and the musicians that come out of there are hardworking and they're solid and they really care about leaving it there for the audience. It's like one of the great, you know, boxers or, or athletes that go back to the hotel and just collapse, you know, because they did everything for the show or the game. But Iggy's lyrics, uh, so, so little words per song, but so meaningful. <laughs> uh, his, his actual, like I was saying about Perry, the delivery of where he delivers the syllables and how he, he places the, wor the words are somewhat percussive. And now I can tell because he's a drummer that he had these percussive type of, of uh, you know, his approach of, of dropping the words and then getting out of the way. And also his dedication to being the courageous, brave, and ever-changing, like Stevie Wonder or Prince, each record grew from something. It didn't sound like the last record. And Funhouse wasn't like the first Stooges record. And Raw Power wasn't like Funhouse. And Lust for Life was completely new. And Passenger is a beautiful song you would never find on a Stooges record. And I always loved Candy that he did with the B-52s girl. And it was like, this is, this is how Iggy grows. And, and David Bowie, you know, producing uh, his record and going on tour with him as a keyboardist. And then Bowie tipping his hat and doing China Girl and doing such a great version. But it's an Iggy song about his wife. And, you know, Iggy doesn't give up and he's ever changing. And his style of, of, of clothes and hair changes and his records change and uh great story 1989 1988 i got to a party in downtown la and i was looking for the the basically anything i can roll a joint with and they said oh there's someone in the, in the next room he's got papers i walked in i heard jane's addiction pigs and zen playing i look at this guy i said you got some papers he looks at me it was Iggy. He goes, hey, man, I have paper. So we rolled one up, and after, after we puffed, I said, by the way, I'm the drummer for the band we're listening to. And he goes, I fucking love you guys. Two weeks later, Jane's Addiction was opening for Iggy for two months nice. on, on a record called Brick for Brick. And uh, I met him at a party, smoked with him, and then all of a sudden I'm on tour with the guy. And he had this great band, uh, the, the keyboardist from Madness, the guitar player for Hanoi Rocks, the drummer from Psychedelic Furs. I don't know where the bass player came from. Somewhere cool. So he had this eclectic band and he had this great record. And, um, you know, I got to hand it to Mark Geiger, our agent. He had us on that tour for two months in front of all the punks. And then after that tour, he put us on a tour with Love and Rockets in front of all the gothic, gothic music lovers. And then he got us on a show with Peter Murphy. And then the psychedelic furs. And then, you know, all these bands that we played with was this perfect, I guess, in a sense, audience for us to gather. If you went to someone's house and they had a Cure poster and a Metallica poster, that was a Janes fan. You know, we can gather, we can gather both sides <laughs> of, of the spectrum. And so uh, 
Iggy was always and still is uh, just this great, powerful source of creativity. And um, touring with him was a reminder every night, what I was saying earlier, you do it and you leave it for the audience. You give it to them and you limp off the stage mm-hmm. and crawl into a bed. <laughs> and, you know, but you do it again the next day. And then not uh, rock Mike and roll Watt, unless you're bleeding. <laughs> exactly. And then it's so Detroit. And, and Mike Watt, the bass player for Hellride, was in the Stooges for about five years. And so it was an honor to play with Mike. And I met Mike in 86. But for Mike to know the real Iggy because he toured with him and then for us to do an Iggy cover band and we kind of take a, a verse and a chorus, a verse and a chorus, and then we jam for like 10 minutes on the, on the riff. So we kind of add this Coltrane Grateful Dead experience. That's what Hellride is. <laughs> and uh, we usually do the first two records. We'll dabble a little bit with Lust for Life and a little bit for the raw power. And as, the, as his um, career went on, we would pick and choose a song or two, but it's basically the, the Stooges covers. But uh, I love, I love what Detroit gives rock and roll. Mm. And, you know, if you, you got to say, Hey, Bob Seger, Ted Nugent. I mean, a couple of the guys that came out of there are so random, but uh, <laughs> MC five and the Stooges. Oh, and I was yeah. too, man. I mean, you know, yeah, the coop. Talk- you're talking about Mike Watt and, um, and, and, uh, just next time you see him, tell him that me and one of my old bass players who I'm still friends with to this day, it's a guy I grew up with my entire life. Um, we were big fire hose fans and of course yeah. the Minutemen and stuff, but we were watching and I think it was the late show and fire hose was on and they were playing big train and cool. they come out and Mike Watts playing and like the first five seconds of the song he's rocking out so hard he busts his low e with his fingers and we're just (laughs) like holy crap he like completely just broke that top string with his fingers like that dude's amazing and you can probably you can probably still find it on youtube somewhere oh absolutely that's what's great about the you know there's so many you know positives and you know pros and cons to social media but the pros is you can find so much cool footage oh, yeah. and it's always there and you can rewatch it and share it with your friends and, and daughters and sons and show them what it used to be like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great footage of fear playing Saturday night live when John Belushi did, you know, uh, he, he forced the issue. Yeah. We got to have, food. and um, instead of having just, you know, 60 SNL audience members, Fear brought in a bunch of LA freaks and they destroyed the place. And it's great, great, oh, yeah, great viewing pleasure. But you know, the thing is with LA punk, and I had this conversation with Watt, uh, Black Flag and the Minutemen bought a van together. And they were the first punk rock band to leave their hometown and go take it around the country. And most yeah. punk rock in America would just be a local band and never do anything. And these guys just said, let's take it to Jersey. Let's take it to Miami. Let's take it to Chicago. Let's get in a van. And I, I, I love that about, you know, the, the stories I get from Watt about the circle jerks and flag and fear. And, you know, even the, what the cramps and the germs were doing, it was just incredibly new and fresh and dangerous. And they took it out of L.A. and they brought it around the country. It was just so cool. 
Yeah, there's a lot of cool documentaries on uh, YouTube that I've actually been watching lately. I watched one the other day about uh, uh, the rise of Black Flag and and Minor Threat oh. and all that. All those bands back in the you know the early to mid '80s, bringing the punk rock scene into the mainstream, and it it was a great documentary. And um, you know, it's just interesting to go back and watch that stuff. But Steven, yeah, it, it is. Um, we're actually coming up. Something about well, I was going to say people talked about punk rock. You didn't have to play good. I, oh, I don't believe no. <laughs> they're, disi- they're disciplined, great musicians. Mm-hmm. With the Minutemen, it's nearly jazz. I mean, oh, it really yeah. was. It was. I was punk rock jazz. Yes. But the and you know you can't just call in a punk rock thing. You got to be great. And Bad Brains to me is like the top quality. You know, the mixture of reggae and Jamaican influence with that heavy rock and that punk rock attitude with HR and vocals. It doesn't get more intense than that. It really doesn't. Well, Stephen, we are coming up to the end of our Zoom call, and I just want to say tonight has been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I, I hope we get to talk to you again because I definitely want to get you back on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more time, and you know, I, I could ask you a billion questions. And um, well, thank you, man. Absolutely, we'll do part two. Yes, and uh, I'm there for you, and I'm. I'm wishing everybody a great year, a great springtime. Stay healthy, happy, yes. safe, and and don't forget to cause trouble too. I mean, yes. it's important. <laughs> one of these days, I'm it's gonna ha- I'm gonna jam with you. I want to we want to put two drum sets together and we're gonna jam out together somehow. We're gonna do I, it. I'll endorse that 100. percent And thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, Jacob. Um, oh, was there anything you want to uh, tell everybody where they can find you online and and anything uh, any new music you got out there you want to want to press? Well, sure. Why not? You know, I got a new band actually. It's called Jane's Addiction, and uh, we're doing some <laughs> stuff. <laughs> we are actually doing something. We have been talking about you know new music and and putting shows together as soon as restrictions lift. Let's get back out there on stage and blow things up. But I do, you know, you can find me, Stephen Perkins Drummer on Instagram, at Stephen Perkins for Twitter. I'm always posting some really positive and great old footage of the bands. And uh, I got a band called Think Floyd or Think EXP where we do Pink Floyd music and then we get muscle, we get muscular with it. I got Hell Ride. I've got a band with the bass player from The Strokes called Summer Moon. Nice. And um, and now me and Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses have got a band called Halloween Jack. And uh, because I'm a drummer, I'm athletic, I need to play, so I'm always starting new bands. That's just how <laughs> I do it. But thanks so, for having me. You know, find me anywhere you can, and I'll stick it to them for you. Blink twice if there will be <laughs> new Jane's Addiction music soon. It's going to happen. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jacob, I uh, want to say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> I was here. I was here during the yes. episode. Man. I and was if, here. I we have to have you on again because I didn't even get to ask half the questions that I, I had for you. I'm also a big fan. In case you didn't know, I'm I'm definitely. I grew up on '90s alt and Jane's Addiction, and I like getting drunk and breaking shit. So. We'll have oh, you back good. on. Definitely. Well, you know the best thing about '90s music after Jane's was the drummers. We had the the Pumpkins with Jimmy. We yeah. had Dave Appleby's with Pearl Jam. We had Chamberlain with. Of course, you know, uh, Soundgarden, Primus, we had Tim. And there's a lot of great drummers, man. So, yeah, let's talk again. And you lead the conversation, Jake. You can lead that. (laughs) Hell yeah.
Well, if you would like to email us, you can email us at openmikerspodcast at gmail.com. We are at openmikers on Twitter and uh, facebook.com slash openmikerspodcast. And, of course, go to get a T-shirt, tpublic.com slash openmikerspodcast. And we will see you guys next week. Oh, that one's good.